Scene nine of No Surrender by Constance Elizabeth Maud. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Scene nine in Middleham Church. It was Sunday morning. The bells of the old village church of Middleham were ringing for morning service. The congregation loitered in the peaceful churchyard and round the old porch, in no hurry to leave the pleasant sunshine for the dim aisles. Under the shade of an ancient yew tree overhanging the porch, Jenny and two of the Union Sisterhood stood watching the people pass into church. They had walked nearly five miles that morning, and the sun had beat upon the dusty white road mercilessly. But the three young women, tramping steadily on, had felt neither dust nor heat, so absorbed were they by the purpose in their hearts. Jenny had told them of the rare opportunity which offered for catching three cabinet ministers off their guard, and presenting the eternal petition, justice for women. Nurse Dodds, of Mrs. Wilmot's children's home, had eagerly jumped at the chance, as had also her friend Hilda Smith, spending a few days with her. The latter, a clever young schoolteacher, had been dismissed from her post on account of her too openly avowed sympathy with the women's movement. The wrongs of her sex had been brought home to her with peculiar force in her own profession, where she had found precisely the same work, received such different pay. The boy pupil-teacher, getting eight shillings, to her own five. The schoolmaster, three hundred to her one. Yet the qualifications and the hours of labour being identical. Finally, the decision to deprive the woman of her hard-earned post altogether, should she see fit to marry, had made of Hilda Smith not only a convinced suffragist, but a militant suffragette. The last bell began to toll its five minutes warning. Hurry up, hurry in, good people. The old sexton peered out from the dark entrance, blinking at the outside sunshine like an old owl from his nest. He caught sight of the three young women. They must be gathered into the fold, said he to himself. Their clothes are gay, youth is giddy. Who knows but I might be snatching a brand from the burning. He issued forth and made for the yew tree. "'Ain't you young ladies a-coomin' in?' he asked persuasively, yet with a certain authority as became his official capacity. "'I'll find you places. We've got a fine preacher takin' duty for the vicar this mornin'. Don't often ear such a preacher, they say. Makes your sit oop, e do.' Nurse Dodds looked infinitely amused as she nodded pleasantly at the old man and said, "'All right. Thank you. We'll come in presently.' Jenny, noting his disappointed air, explained they were resting after a long walk, but would be sure to come in for the service. He departed, determined to keep an eye on them and see they did not escape him. "'I feel so nervous,' said Jenny. "'I wish we hadn't to do it. That we could just go in and enjoy the sweet peace of this little church, and not think of anything else.' Hilda Smith looked at her in surprise. "'You nervous? You, Jenny?' "'Why, you are always our strength and stay, our steadfast little rock.' "'Not much rock about me,' smiled Jenny faintly. "'I'm always terribly nervous, if I've anything premeditated to do. "'It's only remembering the cause ever carries me through.' "'Well, I'm not like you,' said her friend. "'These ministers never scare me. "'Lor, my dear, come to that, they're only men, after all. "'And I don't mind betting you. "'They're far more scared of us than we are of them.' but with her bright red-gold hair and fresh pink cheeks, 
Hilda Smith did not look very awe-inspiring. "'Well, haven't they shown it?' said Nurse Dodds. "'Cowards the whole bunch of them. "'Conscience-stricken,' she added, her kindly face taking on a severe expression. "'We must try and sit where they can see the purple, white, and green during the service,' said Hilda Smith. "'Then their consciences will have time to gnaw them a bit before we speak to them.' "'I doubt if any of them know the colours,' said Nurse Dodds. "'Mr. Weir Kemp at least does, for I told him myself not long ago,' said Hilda. "'He won't forget. He said we'd good taste.' "'Oh, Weir Kemp, he's a false friend,' said Nurse Dodds bitterly. "'I'd like to give him a bit of my mind before the whole congregation.' "'We must do nothing till after the service, though,' warned Jenny. "'We must catch them as they come out. "'Oh, if only they knew what the vote means to us women,' she added with a profound sigh." "'They do know,' said Nurse Dodds vehemently. "'They know only too well. "'Oh, it maddens me to think of all this power, "'for good or ill, to the women and children of the nation, "'being in the hands of a handful of men. "'Positively, here's the House of Commons with us, "'and yet these two or three men have the power to block our bill.' "'Never mind,' said Jenny soothingly. "'Justice and right must triumph in the end. Three or four men who've got the stiff neck, can't hold out forever. The bell clanged out its last, very last strokes. The old sexton hurried up to them. "'Come, my dears, time you are stepping in now, if you want me to find you good places,' he urged. Jenny looked round anxiously as they followed the old man into the church, supposing the party from the abbey were not coming after all. The old sexton led them up the nave and showed them into a front pew facing the altar, and at right angles with the chancel pews. "'See,' he whispered, "'you must sit here, as Farmer Jones and his family is away from home. "'You can see all the fine folks in the chancel nicely here.' "'Yes, and they can see us,' observed Hilda Smith with satisfaction. Many rustic eyes gazed admiringly at the three young women in their fresh cotton dresses, Jenny in lilac, Hilda in green, and Nurse Dodd in her white hospital uniform, all with conspicuous badges of the union colours bearing the device votes for women so that he who ran might read the bell ceased to clang the organ struck up a processional hymn and slowly the village choir marched round the church followed by the curate and the famous preacher taking duty for the old vicar whose comfortable drone usually acted as a soporific on all his hearers as the two parsons passed into their seats in the chancel nurse dodds whispered to jenny why that is father petra from shoreditch i nursed him last winter through double pneumonia he came out all right before i'd done with him out of the pneumonia asked hilda smith yes and out of his prejudices he's with us women now heart and soul sees ours is the only way at the sign of triumph satan's host doth flee shouted the village choir and the three suffragettes joined in heartily "'He has recognized you,' whispered Jenny, as she saw the deep-set dark eyes of Father Petra suddenly gleam with a kindly twinkle as they rested on Nurse Dodds. At that moment a rustle of turning heads and shoulders passed through the church like a breeze, and the party from the abbey entered like conquering heroes, and marched in slow procession to the seats of the mighty. Lady Thistlethwaite, in pearl-grey, led the way with the right honourable Horace Boulder. 
Lord Oakleham followed with pretty little Mrs. Blatherton, smiling from side to side as though acknowledging the homage due to her last Paris creation and herself. In their wake came the commanding figure of the noted writer and lecturer, Mrs. Prendergast, accompanied by a spare, nervous-looking man in spectacles, whose face was as familiar to the public as that of his confrere who had preceded him. Mrs. Boulder and a small boy in sailor suit, gentle grey-haired Miss Agatha Thistlethwaite, and her little niece Eileen, only child of the house, Sir Marmaduke Thistlethwaite, and his third ministerial guest, the Right Honourable George Weir Kemp, completed the party. Lady Thistlethwaite had triumphed over all objections, overruled all excuses, hauled in all shufflers and would-be backsliders, and, considering herself bound to patronise morning service, had succeeded in doing so in company with all her distinguished guests. As Sir Marmaduke passed Farmer Jones' pew, he noticed with interest the three young women. "'Village beauties, eh?' he observed to Mr. Weirkamp at his side. That gentleman turned, and his eye met that of Miss Hilda Smith, fixed on him with smiling interest. He started, and allowed his host to pass before him, quickly turned right about, and made for the door by which he had entered. It was done so promptly and unhesitatingly that his host never noticed the manoeuvre, but imagined he had taken his place among the rest in the chancel. "'He's gone,' said Hilda Smith to Jenny, "'scared to death when he recognised me.' She could not keep a little satisfaction out of her voice. "'A cabinet minister, and such a coward!' Jenny could hardly believe it possible." "'Yes, but you see, they're unguarded,' answered her friend. "'For three suffragettes, the proportion of police should be three hundred. "'What a public testimony to us,' whispered Nurse Dodds. And then all three joined with fresh energy in the concluding verse of the hymn. "'Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war!' The Reverend Sebastian Petra was taking a fortnight's so-called rest from the strenuous life of his Shoreditch parish where for eight years past he had laboured amid superhuman obstacles and difficulties winning his way at last to the hearts of his people a stronghold from which nothing could now dislodge him the familiar lean black figure with flying coat-tails followed by grimy grinning urchins to whom he dispensed sweets and halfpence was a more welcome sight to the mothers of shoreditch than any the day could show and the men and boys so hard to reach at first now came to the evening classes in his little monk-like attic, as though drawn by a magnet. He looked with surprise at the party who suddenly inundated the chancel. The unmistakable profiles of the two cabinet ministers gave him cause for considerable reflection while the curate was reading the first lessons for the day. He noted also the three suffragettes and their conspicuous badges. He wondered whether their appearance in church had any connection with that of the two right honourable gentlemen, his thoughts flying back to the long arguments with Nurse Dodds when he was slowly recovering under her skilful nursing, arguments which had at last convinced him as to the wisdom, the severe necessity, in fact, of an aggressive militant policy where a government has shown itself open not to the arguments of justice and reason, but only of compulsion no new thing after all but merely testifying to the justice of the old charge brought against all former governments of all ages father petra was a liberal 
but had little fellowship with the politicians who style themselves by this attractive designation its attraction is undeniable for it is impossible to disassociate the idea of a liberal from the characteristic of liberality and a hope of benefiting by this open-handed disposition whereas the very name of conservative suggests a tendency to close heart and purse-strings as a socialist of the early christian type namely a raiser of the fallen and not a mere puller down of those who are up he found little in common either with the so-called socialist each served their party putting it before all their fine-sounding principles otherwise how was it possible for a liberal government to deny the rights of citizenship to half its tax-paying law-abiding citizens and how was it possible for a socialist of true socialistic principles to stand by without moving a finger to secure for one half the human race what they fought so persistently to obtain as an act of common human right for the other half so reflected father petra as his penetrating eye fixed now on one face and then another in the chancel pew opposite then his thoughts turned on himself and that church under whose banner he served did she stand guiltless when arraigned at the bar by woman father petra was fain to hang his head in shame as he called to mind how far the church and the priesthood had departed from the perfect unity and equality of the sexes as taught by him in whom there is neither male nor female bond nor free alas he said to himself the church has failed the women has joined issue with the foes and oppressors has forced on them a marriage service which is in many essential particulars lowering to their womanhood and in others an insult to their intelligence yet woman has ever been the loyal mainstay of the church since that dark day when women alone stood by the crucified christ and the men his accredited disciples forsook him and fled a woman discovered the sacred relic of the true cross yet to this day men exclude all women from the spiritual blessings supposed to accrue from the sight of the relic a typical instance the thoughts of the father had wandered far afield the three earnest young faces in the front pew brought him back to the present he determined to break a lance for them here and now such an opportunity was not to be lost the sermon in notes in his pocket must be discarded and another quickly forged out of the seething mass of material in the furnace of his brain the voice of the curate hammering out in clerical sing-song the story of jael and sisera supplied him with a peg on which to hang his discourse he longed from the depths of his humble honest heart for gifts of oratory that he might arrest the attention and appeal to the intellect of the man vested for a short time with so much power for good or ill he sighed profoundly as he realized that the influence he exercised over his fellow-men in shoreditch which lay in reaching the heart by speaking from the heart would avail him nothing with the men of st stephen's as his keen gaze fell now on mr boulder and now on mr blatherton he knew he had no weapon in his armory which could pierce the joints of their harness at any point then his eyes rested on the women in their dainty laces and feathers and some words of Maeterlinck's recurred to him with peculiar force appealing as they did to the idealist within him 
however crushed and weighed down by frivolity or sin the soul of a woman may be you have only to whisper one word from the virgin depths of your own soul and she will respond to you simply with a word a look a gesture no less pure than your own the divine in her will come forth at your call there and then father petra resolved to call aloud to the heart to the soul of the woman he had not noted the sweet cheery face of sir marmaduke's grey-haired sister for being seated on the same side of the chancel as himself she was entirely blotted out of his sight by the white embroideries and enormous picture hat of mrs boulder miss agatha thistlethwaite like father petra had given but a divided attention to the voice of the curate after many years she found herself again beneath the imposing monument of her great-grandfather where as a child she had sat each sunday for so long in the days when the abbey was her home strange to look back over the long vista of years which had rushed by all the same so quickly and to think that of all those familiar figures of her girlhood only she and her brother marmaduke remained one by one the others had all gathered on the other side old and young alike the familiar pew made her feel as though it were but yesterday she had sat there a little girl with sunny brown curls like the child now at her side but yesterday she and her lover had wandered among the pine woods and felt no heaven above could hold happiness more complete than this fair earth but yesterday and now her brown hair was silvery grey yet still she was the life and soul of a child's party and her gaiety and eternally youthful heart made her welcome wherever she went for agatha thistlethwaite never attempted the ambitious mission of making anybody good whether man woman child or dog but she regarded it as the very reason of her being to try and make them happy and she generally succeeded the more she learnt of the sadness and disappointment of life the stranger did it appear to her that people should spend any of the short hurrying years allotted to them here in making each other miserable by quarrels and disputes she looked across at the two cabinet ministers and thought of them with a profound pity little suspected by those gentlemen themselves poor men she reflected it must be a most trying life for them always fighting and opposing the other party i'm thankful god made me a woman and not a man above all not a politician then with a start the curate recalled her to the first lesson and she realized they were in the throes of tragedy jael and sisera dear me so it is how shockingly one's thoughts do wander in church however she added to herself that is not a story that has ever appealed to me so i'll wander again i hope little eileen doesn't understand it there is nothing lovely in such a tale whatsoever things are pure whatsoever things are true blessed and lovely think on these things so by our thought do we form the spirit within causing it to grow either after the pattern of the divine or the erring carnal mind still this story is true of course even if it is not lovely i suppose one should not shirk the truth however ugly but oh how all my soul recoils from violence in women a woman with a hammer in her hand and in her heart the desire to kill 
woman whose whole reason of being is to create to nurture to heal to comfort these poor deluded suffragettes if only they could see this the spirit of self-sacrifice they display has something heroic in it i can't deny but oh their methods how deplorable i hope and pray dear gertrude's anti-society may succeed soon in saving the poor dear deluded creatures from themselves then and there the gentle lady made a mental resolution to do all in her power to help her sister-in-law it was so nice to see her really interested in doing something for her own sex her eyes rested kindly on the faded prettiness opposite as she continued to herself what a pretty woman she is and how young-looking still she must have much temptation among her surroundings to think only of dress and admiration and the world yet i could tell of many a kind deed done quietly by the right hand without the left hand knowing to my poor folk in southwark dear gertrude there are people who judge her hardly because they see only the surface oh we poor humans should never judge one another again her eyes wandered what earnest happy faces those three young girls have over there in the front pew one is a hospital nurse i see she has learnt the secret of happiness working for others and the other two one can see they also are workers it is written all over their strong young faces quiet thoughtful independent i only wish girls of our class could be made to stand firmly on that dignified footing and aggie said a little voice at her side as a small hot hand slipped into hers and aggie why did she kill him i'll tell you after church darling miss thistlethwaite whispered she didn't ought to have done it did she aunt aggie persisted the little voice not didn't ought dear shouldn't corrected her aunt gently well shouldn't ought then did she said eileen no yes we, we mustn't talk in church darling eileen relapsed into unsatisfied silence wandering thoughts were contagious that sunday morning in the village church through mrs horace boulder's well-coiffed pretty little head they coursed with the rapidity and abandon of rabbits in a cabbage garden she gazed with the eye of the connoisseur on her hostess's hat a creation in maize and tobacco colours that's a very chic hat of gertrude thistlethwaite i must get one like it only in vue rose shades that wonderful clairvoyant said last night i ought never to be seen out of vue rose it contrasts with my hair and matches my aura i wish i could see auras she sighed softly to herself it would be such a help in engaging servants and other ways knowing for instance when a man is really telling you the truth it made me very uncomfortable her saying horace's aura was sang de boeuf somehow i could not help thinking of those awful suffragettes and seeing horace bathed in his own blood and of course me and the children too they are capable of anything i never open a letter or parcel now without trembling after having that awful fright with a box of frogs last week it's true it turned out to be bobby one of his silly jokes but it's just the sort of thing these women might do and mrs weir kemp had three anonymous letters last week threatening vitriol and rotten eggs and i don't know what 
her roving eye skimmed over the heads of the congregation. I wonder what became of Mr. Weir Kemp. Those three girls in the front there never take their eyes off the men in our pews. I suppose they've never seen any men of our world before, and are overcome with admiration. Queer little rosettes they're wearing. A teetotal badge, I suppose. Suddenly she started violently. No, it isn't. I can see the words from here. Votes for women. How perfectly awful. They must be some of those women, those wicked suffragettes. They have tracked us down. Her pink cheeks became colourless, then flushed crimson with emotion. She turned to Lord Ogleham, but he was wrapped in the deep sleep of an innocent child. She then whispered to Miss Thistlethwaite on her other side. That lady endeavoured to calm her, pointing out the youthful and harmless aspect of the girls, but in vain. Mrs. Boulder then began a series of small manoeuvres to try and attract her husband's notice, but he remained oblivious to all her signs. At last Lady Thistlethwaite became aware that something was going on in the opposite pew. "'I fancy your wife is trying to attract your attention,' she said in a loud whisper to Mr. Boulder. At this point, having failed with nods and coughs, Mrs. Boulder was making signs to her husband, and spelling out on her fingers the word suffragettes. Mr. Boulder put up his eyeglass and watched the incomprehensible movements of the little tightly-gloved hands. He turned a face of irritated perplexity to Lady Thistlethwaite. "'Is she trying to spell on her fingers?' "'I think she is spelling out suffering,' said Lady Thistlethwaite, after carefully watching Mrs. Boulder's hands. I expect it is your little Tommy who has a pain. I saw him eating a great many green gooseberries before church. Placing her hand on her waist-belt, she raised her eyebrows in questioning form to Mrs. Boulder. "'He looks all right,' remarked Tommy's father. "'But he's eating something now. That boy never ceases eating.' "'She wants to take him out, I think,' observed Lady Thistlethwaite. Whereupon Mr. Boulder— nodded his head vigorously, implying his hearty consent to this move, and adding aside, "'I wish to goodness she would. It's absurd bringing children to church.' "'Let us pray,' pronounced the ringing deep voice of Father Petra, and all knelt. "'Mrs. Boulder has guessed,' whispered Jenny to Hilda Smith. "'She's tried to make signs to her husband, but he won't see. She's writing something now.' Mrs. Boulder, meanwhile, tore out a blank page from a hymn-book, and after writing on it, and showing it to Miss Thistlethwaite, folded it into a note. "'Tommy,' she said, in an insinuating whisper to her son, "'go and give this bit of paper to Daddy, like a darling.' "'I don't want to. I won't,' replied that young gentleman, promptly and uncompromisingly. "'Hush, don't make a noise. I'll give you some chocolates if you take it quick, like a good boy,' said his mother persuasively. But Tommy knew better. He wasn't to be caught by female wiles, not he. "'I don't want to, I tell you. And I'll have the chocolates. Where are they?' he demanded, ignoring his mother's hushed tones. "'Hush, do be quiet,' she implored. "'They're not here.' But the idea of chocolates was a fixed one now in Tommy's mind. "'I want them, I say. Give them. Mrs. Boulder realized she might as well try to turn the father from a fixed purpose as this son of his. "'You shall have them as soon as we get home, if you'll be quiet now. Shh!' 
well we'll go now and get them she added feebly waiting a moment for an opportunity as the congregation rose mrs boulder took tommy by the hand and crossing over to her husband herself gave him the note look said nurse dodds she has given him a note she's going what a fine little chap observed jenny and as the exultant tommy passed close to the front pew jenny held out her bunch of violets to him he clutched them eagerly his mother gave a low exclamation of horror and tried to snatch them from him tommy give me those flowers oh god he's smelling them again she made a futile grab at the violets but tommy dodging his mother now ran briskly down the nave saying in firm and audible tones i shan't i want em following at a quick pace mrs boulder came up with her son at the church door give me those flowers you naughty boy they're deadly poison you'll die if you smell them she cried excitedly catching his hand and wrenching the violets from him as they got outside whereupon tommy was heard yelling at the top of his voice you beast give me back my flowers i say gradually the yells were lost in the distance jenny turned a troubled face to nurse dodds i reckon i've caused some trouble in the family oh look at mr boulder he's reading the note whispered hilda he's gone quite yellow low vitality remarked nurse dodds professionally mr boulder was meanwhile perusing the torn-out page of the hymn-book horace they are here in the church those awful suffragettes three of them in the front pew and heaven knows how many more i am certain they have vitriol ready to fling at me and tommy i can't stand the suspense a moment longer i am taking tommy out yours helen he passed the note to lady thistlethwaite she's right they're here look she said in low excited tones and handed the note on to mrs prendergast and these are the women who demand a vote said that woman with quiet triumph after reading the paper she looked at her host opposite sir marmaduke is fast asleep what do you think of doing she asked lady thistlethwaite the necessity for instant action was borne in upon everybody the difficulty was to know what to do lady thistlethwaite instinctively looked towards her sister-in-law agatha but she was kneeling now and her face was hidden i can see mr boulder is feeling very nervous she whispered to mrs prendergast no wonder answered her friend let us be thankful mrs boulder has saved the child i wonder why the boy was yelling like that said lady thistlethwaite uneasily you may depend that girl at the end of the pew pinched him as he passed said mrs prendergast she piqued herself on being a remarkable judge of character at the first glance she looks capable of anything agreed lady thistlethwaite they are all looking at us now said hilda smith see how mr blatherton keeps peeping sideways at us they're all reading the bit of paper one after the other as the congregation rose to join in the singing of the hymn which was to proceed the sermon the three suffragettes noted with dismay that mr blatherton unobtrusively slipped out of his pew and disappeared by a little side door in the chancel there's only mr boulder left said jenny sadly and i expect now he will leave before the sermon see said nurse dodds mrs blatherton is going out after her husband they're scared to death of us queer isn't it they're remembering how the youth david slew old giant goliath 
answered Jenny. But to the credit of Mr. Boulder, it must be recorded that he resisted all temptation to avail himself of the little side door, and remained courageously to face the music, on whatever instruments it might be played by his adversary, the voteless woman. "'My text is taken from the first lesson of this morning,' gave forth the deep, bell-like tones of Father Petra. "'Blessed above women shall Jael the wife of Heber be. Blessed shall she be above women in the tent. She put her hand to the nail, and her right hand to the workman's hammer, and with the hammer she smote Sisera, and smote off his head.' Three pairs of young, bright, earnest eyes were riveted from this moment on the preacher's face. So, my brethren, he went on, we learn from the song of the inspired prophetess Deborah that there is a deed of violence which is justifiable. There is a wrath not only condoned but commended. There is a rebellion which, when brought to bear against tyranny and oppression, is accounted righteous and blessed. Now let us calmly review this strange anomaly of a divinely inspired prophetess pronouncing a blessing upon a woman guilty of such a violent act as that recounted of Jael, a deed which in consideration perhaps of the savage and brutal times in which it was committed one might have expected condoned but scarcely commended. The judge of all men the supremely righteous judge, readeth the heart, and to understand aright one must try and read the heart of Jael, looking below the surface, sound the depth of her motive, ay, and more, gauge the height of her self-sacrifice. Jael, when she took in her hand the hammer and the nail, must have realized poignantly that in her hand also she took as the penalty for failure her life, and more than her life, a penalty that did not bear contemplating. Before she made up her mind to a deed so revolting to her woman's soul, so contrary to her woman's instinct, she must have been overwhelmingly convinced that this was the only way to obtain her people's freedom from the tyrant's yoke. She felt herself in the terrible position of an instrument of divine justice, compelled by a power she dared not disobey, to this supreme act of self-sacrifice, and even as Abraham dared not withhold the sacrifice of his well-beloved son, so Jael dared not withhold the sacrifice of all her woman's nature held most sacred. Like Charlotte Corday d'Aumont in later days, she slew with her own hand the tyrant enemy of her people, laying on the altar her own life, and honour, if needs be, for the salvation of her race. This is why Jael is pronounced blessed above other women. Mrs. Prendergast moved impatiently and murmured to Lady Thistlethwaite, The bloodthirsty fanatic! He ought to be locked up! But Lady Thistlethwaite's eyes were fixed on the preacher with a fascinated gaze, and she made no reply. "'I've always said the Bible was the most immoral of books,' again observed her neighbour, but also without effect. Miss Thistlethwaite, too, found herself compelled to listen. "'Oh, dear, how very difficult life is for some poor things,' 
she reflected, a puzzled expression on her kindly face. I have never quite liked J.L. So dreadfully inhospitable it always struck me. But really, this man is making me feel, after all, perhaps she was quite a heroic creature. Which things are an allegory, my dear brothers and sisters, continued Father Petra emphatically. Now an allegory does not mean something which permits our folding of hands, and saying it has nothing to do with us, and no bearing on our individual lives, just the contrary. This ancient tale of a Jewish woman has a vital practical meaning for every one of us here in this church this morning, and specially for every woman, old or young, rich or poor, gentle or simple. This is a call to you, my sisters, a call to arms, not to do deeds of physical violence. No, the fight to which you are called is not on the physical plane. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, remember, but the enemy is none the less real, none the less terrible for all that. We fight against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Oh, he is a socialist, that's what he is, Lady Thistlethwaite turned to Mr. Boulder with a sense of relief. The man had puzzled her, held her spellbound for a few moments, but now all was clear, and she was not to be caught. "'Is he? I wasn't listening. It's too hot. Wish he'd wind up,' Mr. Boulder yawned obtrusively. "'Amen!' proclaimed Lord Ogleham, in a loud voice, waking suddenly. "'Amen!' Then, realising his mistake, he quickly closed his eyes again and settled once more in his corner. "'Oh, you women! Come out and help us!' cried Father Petra. Take in your hands, metaphorically, the hammer and the nail. Fear not to be misjudged, to be branded as unfeminine, unwomanly. There are enemies to your country, to your home, to your children, which only you can slay, for they have come right across your threshold, a menace to the safety of your lives, aye, more than your lives. We men need your help, too, outside the home. For years you have been trying to touch the great black plague spots of our civilization, but at every turn you are confronted with lack of the lever, the one lever without which you cannot make your voices effectually heard. Like the stone at the mouth of the tomb, this disability must be rolled away before you can issue forth in your resurrected strength. Let us roll it away together, men and women, shoulder to shoulder, do not hang back, my sisters. The issue at stake is too big, the danger of inaction too grave. Come out of your sheltered homes, your safe, pleasant places. Come and purify our politics. Come and bring a spirit of true patriotism into our councils. Bring a spirit of godliness, a spirit of Christian love into our social laws, into our prison discipline, into our shameful streets. It is true, 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 said Agatha Thistlethwaite to herself. This man has come to me like a torch-bearer. I, a woman, have never before felt the full glory of my womanhood, nor the full duty. Dear Gertrude mustn't fight against women, not even suffragettes. Why, I believe Father Petra. Of course he would, there's no doubt about it, he would. He'd say they are right, not in acts of violence, perhaps, 
but in their main idea. He is saying as much now. Oh, dear, oh, dear, am I going to have to be a suffragette? What will dear Gertrude say? Not only Miss Agatha Thistlethwaite, but many another woman found herself that Sunday morning lifted suddenly out of the twilight of the dim old church, out of the moral twilight of her drear grey life, into the clear azure of a higher plane, where, for the time at least, the veil was lifted from her eyes, and her own mission and relation to life, with all its glorious potentialities of true womanhood, showed radiantly distinct. Dry bones stirred in the valley, where, enclosed hitherto by the high rocks, they had grown atrophied and paralyzed down the ages of stupefied superstitions and traditions. They stirred and stood upright, filled with the awakening breath of a new life, never to sink into sleep again. It is true, 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 sang the heart of the woman who had ears to hear. But in the abbey pews, only the grey-haired Miss Agatha had as yet those hearing ears, though the voice of the preacher compelled attention in all but such impenetrably solid sleepers as Lord Algleham and Sir Marmaduke. To the others, the preacher was either a religious fanatic or a crazy socialist. His voice dropped. The sermon had been forged red-hot from his heart. His eyes shone down in sympathy on the faces looking up to his, with unwanted emotion at receiving bread in place of the usual stone. Then, half turning towards the chancel pews, he said slowly and impressively, In conclusion, I would say I am myself a man of peace, in so far as peace may be maintained with honour. But Christ himself, the Prince of Peace, be it remembered, came with a sword, and never shirked the fight when it was against evil, tyranny, and hypocrisy. And I solemnly warn you, both men and women, that there is a spirit of heroic courage and self-sacrifice, even unto the death-test, which has arisen among us. He paused and looked at the three suffragettes, whose faces were turned upwards to him with rapt interest. Let us beware, lest we push those animated by that spirit, to desperate uses, by an obstinate and stupid refusal to acknowledge the justice of a righteous claim, a noble cause. He closed the open Bible before him, and took up a hymn-book, saying in another voice, We will now join in singing to the praise and glory of God, hymn 91. The organ struck up, and the congregation and choir rose with a rustling sound of opening hymn-books, at the words, Christians up and slay them, counting gain but loss, the three suffragettes joined in with a heartiness that brought a fleeting smile to the dark gleaming eyes of the preacher. The most charitable view to take of that discourse is that the man is crazy, whispered Mrs. Prendergast to her hostess. It's too bad of the old vicar to go away and let a firebrand like that into his pulpit, answered Lady Thistlethwaite remembering with resentment how the preacher had stirred her at first. "'Better wait, I suppose, until the congregation have dispersed,' said Mr. Boulder, with a nervous glance at the three girls. "'Yes, I will go on with the others, and you can follow with Marmaduke,' agreed Lady Thistlethwaite. "'He is showing Lord Ogleham the old brasses, you see. "'Those awful women have left the church,' she added with relief, as the three suffragettes disappeared." If they are waiting, I will tell the sexton to send them off before you come out. Outside the church porch, 
Jenny and her two friends mingled with the other people, till Nurse Dodds, seeing the flying black coat-tails of her clerical friend issuing from the vestry door, went off to greet him, leaving the other two to watch for the right honourable boulder. Father Petra shook a long, lean finger at Nurse Dodds. "'Now, Nurse, what are you up to?' he demanded. "'Come, own up.' "'Just carrying out the advice given us by one of their own Prime Ministers, Father Petra?' "'Surely we can't do better,' she answered. "'And that was?' "'Go on pestering. It's the only way you'll ever get it. I can show you the very words in print,' she added triumphantly. "'I don't doubt it,' said the father, smiling kindly at her eagerness. "'But now don't you think it would be well to suspend hostilities on Sundays, like our enemies the Boers, you remember, in the war?' "'We might if we were using guns on them,' she answered. "'But we are only maintaining an attitude. "'We can't suspend that, you see, "'for it's an attitude of spirit and thought. "'You noticed, perhaps, how just the sight of us, three harmless, weaponless young women in summer dresses, "'was enough to make two cabinet ministers leave the church "'and scared the remaining one so that he turned pale as a parsnip.' "'But how about pestering?' inquired her friend. "'We daren't throw away such a precious chance "'for presenting our petition,' she answered. Remember how they are all guarded and protected, more than crowned heads. Never an opportunity for speaking to one of them, and all our deputations stopped by the police and arrested if we persist. If it pesters them even to hear women want the vote, why, your sermon must have pestered them, she added with a twinkling eye. Besides, this sort of little insignificant outpost skirmish is the only sort the papers will report. You'll see, tomorrow morning there's not a paper won't have headlines on The Suffragettes and the Cabinet Ministers in a Country Church. And that does good, for it makes people remember women want the vote. Well, well, no doubt you're right. Go on and prosper. My blessings on you. He shook hands and they parted, Nurse Dodds returning to her waiting friends, whom she joined just in time to see Sir Marmaduke, Lord Ogleham, and Mr. Boulder come out of the church the latter walking cautiously between the other two. As previously arranged, Jenny and Hilda Smith instantly darted forward, and going up to Mr. Boulder, each took an arm of the flabbergasted gentleman and walked beside him in friendly fashion, while Nurse Dodd followed close in their wake. "'Mr. Boulder, when will you ministers of the government give the vote to women?' asked Jenny, with gentle insistence. "'When will you do justice to women?' demanded Hilda Smith on his other side. Quickening his pace, and endeavouring by a jerky movement to free himself from the unwelcome pendants on his arms, Mr. Boulder answered hurriedly, "'Go away, go away, my good women. This is neither the time nor the place.' "'A point is a time and a place, then,' said Nurse Dodds. "'The Prime Minister and you members of the Cabinet persist in refusing to receive our deputations.' At this juncture, Jenny presented the petition she carried. "'Will you take our resolution now and consider it? Here it is.' They had just reached the little gate which led from the churchyard into the abbey grounds. Mr. Boulder, looking round helplessly, could only reply, "'By and by, by and by, I say. Why don't you attack the Prime Minister?' he asked suddenly, seeing, as he hoped, a chance of reprieve. "'Because, as you know, he is in France,' Jenny answered, in a tone of quiet reproach. "'But can't you see the impropriety?' began poor Mr. Boulder, as he realised the village eyes followed him curiously. "'I'm sorry if it has that look. 
"'But you leave us no choice, you ministers of the cabinet,' replied Hilda Smith sternly. Sir Marmaduke and Lord Ogleham followed at a distance, laughing and making no attempt to rescue the unfortunate Right Honourable Boulder. "'The suffragettes have got him, poor old chap. Ha, ha, nicely nabbed, wasn't he?' said the host, and his unprincipled old friend answered in the same spirit of levity, with a knowing eye on the red-gold head of Hilda Smith. "'Deuced pretty girl, the fair one. I'd shake off that other girl, and the nurse, though. To his company, eh, what?' But now, to his unspeakable relief, as they passed into the abbey grounds, Mr. Boulder perceived in the distance the welcome forms of two of the ladies. He hurried as best he could towards them, impeded as he was by suffragettes on either side. "'Why, look at Mr. Boulder!' cried Lady Thistlethwaite in amazement. "'He's actually walking arm in arm with those awful suffragettes. He is bringing them here!' Mrs. Prendergast raised her lorgnettes and levelled them at the strangely assorted group. "'He is not doing so voluntarily, my dear Lady Thistlethwaite. Can't you see his terrible predicament? We must go and deliver him. Sir Marmaduke and the other men are actually laughing.' She hastened forward. "'Just like Marmaduke. Men are such idiots!' cried her hostess, following. "'Oh, they've caught him! They've caught him!' cried a high treble voice from one of the upper windows of the old abbey. "'Run for the house, Mr. Boulder! Mr. Weirkamp and my husband are here in safety!' Lady Thistlethwaite turned and looked up in surprise. "'Why, there is Mrs. Blatherton! They must have got out of that tiny vestry window!' She waved her hand to Mrs. Blatherton and laughed. "'Out of the vestry window? What wonderful courage and presence of mind!' cried Mrs. Prendergast admiringly. "'Oh, it's close to the ground,' explained Lady Thistlethwaite. "'but so narrow I can't think how they squeeze through. "'Fear makes you grow thin, I suppose.' "'Very well, Mr. Boulder, "'if you promise to bring forward a bill for women's suffrage, "'we need not trouble you further,' said Nurse Dodds, "'as the relief party came up. "'And Jenny added, "'Then we'll be looking for a bill for votes for women "'before this year's out. "'This is the petition.' "'She handed a paper to Mr. Boulder, "'who stuffed it hastily in his pocket, "'saying irritably and with returning confidence, "'It's the Prime Minister you must go to, I tell you. "'What's the good of worrying me like this?' "'Nurse Dodds faced him reproachfully. "'But you've just given your promise, "'and you yourself, as a member of this government, "'can bring forward a bill.' "'Jenny and Hilda Smith still clung firmly to his arms. "'Very well, very well,' he said. "'But be off with you, I say. "'Such conduct is really most embarrassing, most improper. "'Leave that gentleman alone this moment, you shameless creatures.' "'How dare you touch him?' cried Mrs. Prendergast in loud indignation, while Lady Thistlethwaite called to her husband, still lingering at the gate, enjoying his joke with Lord Ogleham. "'Marmaduke, send for some of the gardeners to drive these women off the grounds. It's really not a subject for joking.' Nurse Dodds turned to Lady Thistlethwaite. "'We had imperative business with Mr. Boulder. It is concluded, and we are going.' Jenny and Hilda Smith relinquished their hold, and instantly Mr. Boulder hurried off, making for the house, where he disappeared. The three suffragettes turned and walked rapidly towards the gate. "'Marmaduke, are you going to stand by without even setting the dogs on them, seeing one of your guests attacked like that?' again appealed his wife. "'Well, but they're gone,' protested Sir Marmaduke feebly. "'And Mr. Boulder's escaped. What more do you want? You women are so unreasonable. Where's Aggie? Let her tackle them.' "'I wish she would,' snapped his wife. 
Eileen has taken her off to tell her stories on the haystack. It's really too tiresome to leave me everything to do. Aggie hates rows as much as I do, bless her. I'm off to the haystacks, too. Come along, Ogleham. Thought I should have died seeing those two girls marching him off before all the village people, laughed Lord Ogleham to his fellow sinner. They think he's as thick as thieves with the suffragettes. Ha, <laughs> ha, best joke I ever saw. I would not have missed it for a thousand pounds, rejoined Sir Marmaduke. Poor old Balder, not much bold about him, eh? Caught in church by the suffragettes after being guarded all the week by an army of detectives like the Tsar of Russia. Well, he was bolder than the other two. They hooked it in the middle of service, chuckled his friend. I never witnessed a more indecent, outrageous scene in my life. One blushes for one's sex, observed Mrs. Prendergast severely. Deuced pretty girl, though, that fair one, interposed Lord Ogleham. I'd have given her a vote, and a kiss, too, if I'd been bolder and had her hanging on my arm. Mrs. Prendergast gave him a look that should have shriveled his portly dimensions, had his skin not been so thick. She turned and walked away with her hostess in the opposite direction, and they compared notes as to the intrinsic idiocy of the superior sex. "'I wonder what those awful creatures, women one cannot call them, will do next,' sighed Mrs. Prendergast. She knew next morning. On rising about an hour before the arrival of the housemaid, with her morning tea, and drawing aside the curtains to look out on the lovely grounds of the old abbey, a sight met her gaze, which caused the poor lady to rub her eyes in dazed bewilderment. Her first idea was nightmare, for her dreams had been troubled by the painful impressions of the previous day. But the brilliance of the summer morning soon dispelled this solution of the staggering sight. During the quiet hours, when all slept, that fair garden had blossomed, not as the rose, but as the Albert Hall on a gala suffragette night. The rose trees showed, in place of blooms, winding ribbons bearing the inscriptions, Votes for Women, Dare to be Free, No Surrender. The chorus and border was edged with an oft-repeated refrain of the audacious words, No Vote, No Tax. In the distance could be distinguished on the rhododendron bushes gigantic banners waving with triumphant impudence in the morning breeze while overriding the beds of begonias under the very windows of the abbey she could read the insolent inscription taxation without representation is tyranny not only had the moon and the stars shone down in an abetting silence on the midnight marauders but apparently the very dogs had also been won over to a conspiracy of silence end of scene 9 read by lisa reichert